right, guys, if you have a copy of God's Word, you can open to Ephesians 6, or you can read along on the screen, or if you have a Bible app you'd like to look at, either, any way is fine. Just as long as we're getting into God's Word, that's the main thing. And so we're uh, getting near towards the end of our series through the book of Ephesians. And I think it's kind of fitting as we go into this Christmas season that we'll be looking this morning at relationships in the home. We've looked at the relationship between husbands and wives and marriage the last couple weeks. And this week we'll talk about the relationship between children and parents. I'll mention this in the middle, but this is very important. If you're here today and you no longer have children in the home or you've never had a child or you're single, you're not married, whatever it may be, uh, this is important that we all understand this. As a church that believes what the Bible says, that we are a family, there's a sense in which uh, that we all want to take responsibility for all the children that are a part of our church family. We all want to be able to support one another and to love one another. And also it's important because there are many children that we connect with through our missional communities, common missions, who, who don't have parents who are pouring into them. Particularly, maybe not pouring the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so this is important for all of us. And so I hope you don't check out because maybe you think this isn't relevant to you because it is. I know it's a little cool in here. It was warmer earlier. Uh, shut the door so maybe the heat will, will generate and we'll get warmed up. But thank you for your flexibility. If you didn't know, the cafeteria doors were locked when we got here this morning. And there's no way to get in there. So uh, thank you for, uh, for being understanding. So Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, let's hear the word of the Lord. Children, your favorite verse, children. Isn't it, isn't it coincidence that this was the fourth Sunday and God had you guys in here this week? It really wasn't planned. So children, memorize it. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning as our good Father. We pray that you would help all of us in here today whether as children, as parents, single, childless, empty nesters, whatever it may be, college students, we ask that you would speak to us through your spirit, exalting your son, Jesus, preparing us to live the life that you've called us to live of worship, not merely we gather here on a Sunday, but as we step into our everyday lives. We pray that you would give us faith to trust that your way is right. We pray that you help us to not lean on our own, on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you. We pray, God, today that you would build us up, build our faith up, build our church up, and build and advance your kingdom throughout this city as it begins in our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, recently I was introduced to kind of a, a scary, dark children's story, Coraline. I don't know if any of you guys have, have heard of this 
before. It's a book. It's also a movie. And it's about a girl whose parents really didn't have a lot of time for her. So whenever she was around, you could just always tell that they were just kind of irritated by her presence. They had things to do in life, and she was just kind of in the way. So they were irritated by having to listen to her needs. They were frustrated because it seemed that she was getting in the way of her plans. And then in some twist, you'd have to, to read the book, uh, she is brought into this alternate reality through this old house that they're living in. And in this alternate reality, all of the people who are frustrated with her, particularly her parents, love her. They just love being with her, to listen to her, to care for her, to be involved in her life. It seems as if this was what she had always wanted. It seemed as if this was the way that it was supposed to be. The only problem, to make a long story short, is that it was a trick. And the supposedly good mom was a wicked, evil spider witch of some sorts. What, Kaylee? I can't hear you. I can't hear anything in here. <laughs> so whatever Kaylee said. She's evil, right? And she wants to destroy her. She wants to take her soul away. And this has worked with other children. And why has it wor worked? Because this lure of somebody listening to me, somebody loving me, somebody taking time to have a relationship with me is very powerful. Now there are no, uh, I hope no, evil spider witches or whatever I'm supposed to call it behind the blocks in this wall today. But the reality is that we have to realize, and there's no, it's no coincidence as we go into Ephesians 6, we're going to end with spiritual warfare. Because anytime you're thinking about the home, Anytime you're thinking about our relationships, in any home, in any house, in any situation, the enemy wants to divide us. The enemy wants to accuse us, the enemy wants to confuse us, and he wants to steal our children away from us. And we need to be sobered by that fact today. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he does not look at children and say, they're off limits. And the way that he wants to do this is he wants to give them an alternative that looks good, that looks better, where they can be listened to, where they can be loved, where they can be respected, where they can be given the time and attention that their souls were created for. Now our temptation is when we hear heavy things like this is to think, Okay, we've got to find a way to lock our kids up somewhere and keep them away from the enemy. We've got to find some way to take them out of the world. We've got to find, some, we've got to find the right list of rules. And if we can get the rules right, then we can protect them. But the problem is, is this is not the way of the kingdom when it comes to how change happens in our life. Is that it is not through rules that we find ourselves changed or others changed, it is through relationship. It's through relationships. Why are rules easier than relationships? I probably won't be able to hear you, but help me think out loud. Why do rules feel easier than relationships? Black and white. Good. What else? You can control it. 
good. It's faster. Yeah, relationships take a lot of time, don't they? If I could just, you know, say don't do this, right, then we don't have to have a conversation about it. Conversations take time. What else? Any other reasons? can always make more of them. Yeah, that's good. I hadn't thought of that. So if you make a rule, then now it's like, okay, I did my part. I made the rule. Now you keep the rule. So if, if, if that's why rules are maybe feel a little easier, why are, why are relationships so hard? Why can relationships between parents and children or adults and children, why can that connection be so hard to make? Children, you're in here today. Feel free to share, Jackson. Okay, so if you don't follow the rules, yeah, that could make it hard. What else? Why is it hard? When is it hard? Yeah. If you didn't hear Rachel that you're just you're at different seasons of life, you've had different experiences. You know, there is this this sort of chasm between what feels real and what is real. <laughs> what else? We need to think about this because it's hard. Communication can be hard. This whole topic can be hard because we're going we're gonna to talk about these commands that God gives us to follow here that we believe are good. But, but there's a lot of assumptions that can be made, and that's why we want to take time. It's, it's maybe even some of you have lived in abusive homes. If you haven't, many people have. Many people have had situations with parents who didn't love them well, and some of us may have had situations where we were just a rebellious child. But as a church that says we want to believe that Jesus has come not just to change our Sundays, but our everydays, if we don't do the time and put in the effort that we need to think about the relationship between children and parents, then we're going to miss a lot of where our lives are lived. We're going to not be able to understand one another as a church. It's different. Ones of us are in different seasons of life, but we're a church that values being intergenerational and, and having people that are in different seasons of life pouring into to one another's lives. The good news is, though, the story of God from first to last, from Genesis to Revelation and today, speaks to this issue. But in the very beginning... The first humans, Adam and Eve, were given this call to multiply and to fill the earth. That children were to be seen as a blessing and not a burden. In our world today, you're often told, hey, watch out, kids will ruin your life. You better make sure you have fun before you have children. And we just want you to know, children in here, or I want you to know, and I think everyone else, we don't think you're a burden. We don't believe that you're keeping us from living a better life than we could live. We want you to know that we love you. We want you to know that we believe you are our wealth. You are a blessing. 
You are a gift from God. And no matter how mom and dad act or how this dad acts to my kid, is that no matter how we make you feel, this is how God feels about you. You are a blessing created in his image, put in this world for his glory and for his purposes. But in the story of God, we know the fall happens and things get messed up. And parents and children and the relationships involved are not exempt from this messing up. We see the first murder in the Bible is a brother killing another brother. Not really a surprise for those of us who've had brothers or who've had children. But families are divided. But the good news is, is that Jesus comes. It's the perfect son who leads us to the perfect father and who now calls us into this story of redemption and restoration where we let relationship, reconciliation, this kingdom hope be the center of what it means for us to fulfill our roles as children and parents. So we're going to look this morning at the relationship of children to parents, which is to give honor, and the relationship of parents to children, which is to give hope. I'm going to say that again. The relationship of a child to his parents is to give honor. And in a way, this exists through all of our life, although the dynamics of that change. And the relationship of parents to children is to give hope. So as we look at this relationship of children to parents, what is the responsibility? The first is to hear. So notice, this is amazing. Paul addresses the children through the Holy Spirit. Now just as we looked at last week in the relationships of husbands and wives, and we said that often the world will say the Bible kind of gives this sort of suppressing vision of life in the home, it actually was the opposite. It's that Paul is calling these children to see they are a vital and important part of the people of God. God's people would have gathered like this, but probably maybe in a home, and they would have read this letter together. And guess what it would have been the assumption as they read this letter together? Who would be sitting there listening? The children. It is our modern day issues that make us always have to ask this question, what are we going to do with the kids when it comes to our lives and our churches? Now this is amazing. Children, you need to hear this. You're being addressed directly through the Word of God. It's assumed that you would be involved in the people of God. It's assumed that you have an intelligence and an importance that matters within the people of God. You are not something to figure out. It's assumed. We can be really inconsistent when we think about children and their abilities. We know this was a different time and a different culture where there were different things in place that made this a lot more possible. But if we think about our inconsistencies today, our children in this room can memorize lots of things. Songs. Sports trivia. Minecraft weapons. Their favorite cartoon characters. I've got a four-year-old nephew who could tell you every Paw Patrol and PJ Masks character down to the detail. Most children 
can take a device and use it almost effortlessly with little to no help or training. Many go to schools every day, arrive there on time, and for the most part sit still. But when it comes to the people of God sometimes, we sort of act like they can't do anything. You know, we've, we've just got to water it down and expect they're going to be crazy and expect that they can't do it. And children, we just want to say to you that we want to have a higher vision for you than that. We don't want to exaggerate your ability because you are a child, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but we also don't want to diminish it. We want to know your frame, and we know it's hard to sit still. That's okay. That's part of being a kid. But we also want to know that you are able to do far more than so often what is expected of you from the world. And one of those things is this next call, to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now the assumption here is this is parents who are part of God's kingdom, as a part of God's church, but it's also rooted in the created order, that there is this God-given authority that is there in the world for the protection and for the provision of children. And that this obedience that you're called to, children, of your parents is not giving to make your lives miserable but is given to fit the place that you're at in your developmental journey. And it's to be done, as all obedience is to be done, in the Lord. Your parents are not perfect. My children's parents are definitely not perfect. So the obedience is not rooted in the perfection of the parents. The obedience is rooted in the principles of the Lord. That's why it says, for this is right. So I want to encourage you children to trust the Lord, to obey Him. If your, children, if your parents call you to sin, you can disobey them because your obedience is to the Lord. But where they are not calling you into sin, you need to trust Him. Not with eye rolls or begrudging, subversive acts, but with faith. This flows out of this call to honor. Honor your father and mother. For this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. We see this is taken from the, the Ten Commandments. And under the Old Covenant, there was this promise of the inheritance of the land. There was this promise not merely that was linked to, to obey your parents and you'll have an eternal life, but in obey your parents and your life is going to be better now. And as these Ephesians who read this letter, who are not all Israelites by any stretch, read this, the promise that's coming to them through the fulfillment in Christ is that if you trust in God's pattern and if you fulfill God's principles, then your life is going to be a better experience. That respect, not rebellion, is the path to greater fulfillment and freedom. If you're like me, kids, as you hear this, and as I think back on my childhood, you may be thinking right now, but I can't do that. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to listen to my parents. I don't want to obey my parents. Or if I do obey my parents, on the inside I'm saying, I don't like this, and I don't want to do this. 
And there's good news for you. Some of you children in here this morning, you have not yet found yourself in the kingdom of God. You have not yet trusted in Jesus as the one who has come to rescue you. And I want to call you even now that as you feel this inability within yourself to obey your parents or even want to obey your parents, to run to Jesus. He was the perfect child for you. And this is really good news. However old you are in here, children, Jesus was your age once. And he was the perfect little boy. He was the perfect little girl, as it were. He was the perfect child in your place. He obeyed his parents perfectly. And he got the balance right of obeying his heavenly father and his earthly parents perfect for you. And under the old covenant, do you know what the punishment was for a child who disobeyed their parents? They could be taken out and be stoned. Deuteronomy even says that in this persistent disobedience, they could be hung upon a tree to death. But this morning, you do not have to fear the punishment of your sin because Jesus has went and was placed upon a tree in your place. In all of your disobedience towards your parents, this morning, there is hope for you. God is not standing up in heaven saying, look at those kids, those ungrateful kids. I hope they get what's coming to them. No, he sent his son to be the perfect child in your place. So that even on your worst day, with your worst attitude, that if you humble yourself and run to him, you know there is full forgiveness. And even as you come to faith in Christ, as all the adults in here can attest, and you continue to wrestle with disobedience, you continue to wrestle with rebellion, as you can know that the finished work of Christ will never run out for you as you continue to put your hope in him. As a child, I hated having to go to work with my dad. I hated it. I can remember on Saturday mornings, my dad coming in there to wake me up to go throw wood in the back of a truck. And I would, I would not get up until he came in there about four or five times. And I don't even know if I was awake or not, but he would always, of course, tell me that he had came in there in no uncertain terms. And I just remember making it painful for all of us. Some of you kids, maybe you're like me a little bit, and you think sometimes, you know, if they're going to make me do something I don't want to do, then I'm going to make it unpleasant for them too. But as I've gotten older, I've learned that what my dad was doing is he was teaching me to work. He was loving me in his own way the best that he could. And now I wish that I could go back and cooperate. I wish that I could go back and instead of making those moments and those times miserable, actually make them a little more enjoyable for us all. And children, I want to just invite you and call you not based on my opinion, but God's word, to step into the path of honoring your parents. 
To do this is unto the Lord. To hear, realizing you're important. To realizing that we need you in our families and in our church. We need you to be faithful participants in our family meals, in our conversations. We need you to live a better story, believing that you can through faith and trust in Christ. The story in the world and in so many cartoons and movies, what is all the adults are, are, are basically idiots and the kids have to come clean up their mess. The adults are the ignorant suppressors and the children are the one who can actually see the world for what it is. We're calling you, no, to trust that your parents are not perfect, but they are a part of God's plan for your life. That as parents receive children as gifts, that, that children can receive parents as gifts, and even when everybody is doing everything wrong, is that God is still there at work training you. Would you honor Him? With the relationship between children and parents, we also have to see the relationship from parents to children. So if children, you're to give honor to your parents. Parents, we are to give hope to our children. So what is the responsibility in this relationship? Where verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now this is, this is really important. And again, in this first century context, this would have had a, a lot of power behind it. Because who are we often to assume that should be addressed here when it comes to children? What's well, usually the assumption? When it comes to raising the kids, who, who gets, who do we say? We'd assume it say mothers, wouldn't we? I mean, if we're honest, so often when it comes to the life of the home, there is this, this unbiblical assumption that's woman's work. We take verses like Titus 2 where it gives this, this vision of women who are involved in the life of the home and we stretch it as if the dads are called to just go out into the world, then come home, pay the bills, watch TV, and go to bed and occasionally ask how the kids are doing. But in God's Word, we see here as it's talking about this relationship to children and parents, it's not excluding the wife, it's not excluding the mother, but it's saying, well, want to make very sure that you fathers know that you are to be right in the middle of everything that goes on in the upbringing of your children. Fatherlessness is the root of all kinds of evil in our culture whether it be within the church or it be outside the church. There are so many father wounds that people are having to recover from, some from a bad presence, but often from just an absence. A dad who was there, but who wasn't there. And this is where as a church we have to step up, as a church that has single mothers, and we hope many more single mothers, as a church that has many children who may come from homes without a father who would lead them and love them, is we're all called to own this together. Because so often there is not this vision that God gives here of the fathers who don't provoke their children to anger. Now this isn't saying that fathers or mothers, that we don't do things that make our children angry, right? 
it made me angry every time I was told to clean my room. It made me angry every time I was told to eat a food that I didn't want to eat. I still kind of get angry when I'm asked to do those things. What we're talking here is not making your children angry. The, the, the operative word here in this is this, this provoking. This kind of poking with a stick. This kind of careless attitude. Harsh, critical, condescending, comparative, condemning relationship. In the first century, fathers had almost complete, total, dominant authority in their home. God here is speaking the gospel of the kingdom into that culture, and he's saying, fathers, in a culture where you can get away with being Mr. Tough Guy, don't provoke your children to anger, because they could have got away with it here. Actually, this is the dad. He listens to this. In first century Ephesus, he's going to get made fun of for being soft on his kids. The goal here is a father and parents who know their children, who take time to know their hearts, who have the humility to let their children know them, to have a relationship where they are raised or brought up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The discipline, there's, without provoking to anger, there's corrective training, but it's in the Lord. There's instruction, there's teaching, there's content. There's a father, there's a mother, as a team, looking to their children and saying, I'm going to give my life to see you brought up. If the weight was felt by the children in calling to obedience and honor, so us parents, and us fathers particularly here, we feel this weight. Because this is a big calling. To prioritize the discipleship of our children over any other thing in our lives. And the good news is, is that we have a Savior as well. The good news is there's good news for bad dads. There's good news for bad moms. There's good news when we put ourselves first. There's good news when we want to provoke. There's good news for those of us who have provoked. There's good news for those of us who have done too much. There's good news for those of us who have left the most important things undone. Is that Jesus has bore that in his death as well for us. That he has given us hope. That he has went to the cross and not only has he bore our sins, but by his stripes we are healed. For those of you in here this morning who are carrying father wounds... Is you are not alone in that. You have a Savior who is with you. And those of you in here who maybe have given wounds, you have a Savior who is with you. Because we have a Father who is greater. We have a Father who has been all that we could not be and who has given us all that we need through Christ. And so we're called to give hope. Some of you may have heard of the missionary John Patton or John Payton, he was a missionary that went to take the gospel to people who had eaten the last missionaries that went there. So this is boldness. You find out if I, the last missionaries that went to these people, they killed them and ate them. 
And so this type of person has this type of boldness to say, send me to those people with the gospel. Now, how is he so courageous? Well, one of the reasons he was so courageous was because of the deep love and relationship he had had with his father. When he was tempted to quit, he wrote this in his journal about his father. He said, though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable catastrophe to be swept out of my memory, my soul would wander back to those early scenes of hearing my father's cries to God and would hurl back all doubt with a victorious appeal. He walked with God, so why not I? He wrote in his autobiography, How much my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I could never explain. Nor any stranger could understand. When on his knees, and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the lost world to the service of Jesus, and for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior and learned to know and love him as our divine friend. And then he talks of the day that when he left on his missionary journey, he says from his hometown to the train station, it was a 40-mile walk. But 40 years later, he still remembered that his father walked with him the first six miles of the way. He says his counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then, whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. He said, but my father's lips kept moving in silent prayers for me. And his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. And unable to say more, his lips, lips kept moving in silent prayer and in tears we embraced and parted. He says, I ran off as fast as I could and went about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me. I looked back and saw him still standing where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat, I rounded the corner again, but my heart was too full and sore to carry me further, so I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Then rising up cautiously, I climbed a hill to see if he yet stood where I'd left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing a hill and looking after me. He didn't see me, though. And so after I saw him, I got down and continued my journey. And I vowed to God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. Parents, we will never regret pouring our lives into our children. There's not going to come a time in your life where you're going to say, I, I just wish I could have got uh, more done on Netflix. 
I just wish I could have been better at my hobby. I just wish I could go back and spend less time investing in a relationship with my children. But there are many, many who have got to the end of their life and said the opposite. And with no hint of condemnation, guilt, fear, or shame, I want to urge us to give our lives in the, in, the, in the short seasons that we have to prioritize what God has called us to prioritize. To hear. Fathers, mothers, to hear. We are not called to outsource the discipleship of our children to other people. As a church, we want to help one another do that particularly where there's not families together, particularly where there are potential great needs and where we all have weaknesses. I need other men in my kids' lives. But raising our children and discipling them is not somebody we pay somebody, that we can pay somebody to do. They may can support us, but they cannot take the responsibility God has given us. To commit to not provoking our children to anger. To be more known by our encouragement than our criticism. To be more known by saying yes to relationship than by saying no through rules. To resist finding our identity in our children. Being embarrassed by them when they don't live up to their, our standards to not respecting their developmental journey by looking at them and saying things as if we were saying, stop being so childish. Well, they're children. By understanding they're not many you in their personality. Well, I would have never did that when I was a kid. So why are you doing that? By being inconsistent in our discipline. And basically only disciplining them when we're irritated with them or frustrated. But if they're not, we're not, we leave them alone. By focusing more on their behavior than their character because that's easier for us. By not being the lead repenter in our home. You know, one of the good news when it comes to parents and children is that if parents will confess their sins and ask for forgiveness, that goes maybe further than if you were perfect all the time. Be the lead repenter in your home. Don't provoke them to anger by acting as if they're the only ones who sin. Don't provoke them to anger by comparing them to other people. Don't provoke them to anger by not listening to them but then losing your cool when you, they don't listen to you. And especially don't provoke them to anger by being one person in public and being another person in private. Children who grow up and reject the faith most often, it's not because their parents were directive and, and very involved or even strong disciplinarians in their life when it comes to the ways of following Christ. It's when their parents were fake. When they went to church and they put on a big smile and talked a big game and they went home and left the Bible in the back of the car or under the bed, it had nothing to do with Jesus Monday through Saturday. 
You see, we will bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord if we ourselves are bringing ourselves under the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the main way that we do this, is we just live out a priority of following Jesus, and we just say, guys, I want you to come with me. I want to show you what gets priority in our schedule. I want to show you what gets priority in our spontaneity. I want to show you who is Lord. And I want to show you that imperfectly as one who is looking to a perfect Savior. See, the good news this morning for us fathers, for us mothers, and for us children is that in all of our sin and all of our weakness and all of our shortcomings, we don't serve a father who is standing back on the porch while we come wallowing back in the mud of our sin and shame with his arms crossed saying, I told you you'd mess everything up. We don't serve a God who's waiting with the the great parent, I told you so. But as in the story of the prodigal son, when this son comes home through all of his failure, through all of his sin, through all of his shame, he can't even get out his repentance speech before he sees his father running to him with arms wide open, calling for the fattened calf to be killed so that there can be a party thrown for the one that he loves. This is how God feels about you today. If we want to have homes where there's honor and where there's hope, then we have to have homes with the Father. The good Father is at the center of our relationships between children and parents. God, we thank you today for this time in your word. We thank you that you've laid out a framework for us to live by. But we thank you, God, for all of our failings to follow your path that you have both given your Son to be our perfection in his life, death, and resurrection. And you've also given us your Spirit to enable us to grow in the obedience of your commands. And as we come now to your table, may we taste and see again that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.